from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Friends, our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 15. Listen for God's word today for you and for me. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, by passing Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Theatira and a, deer, a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. In the late 1950s, a white 10-year-old girl went to a restaurant in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. And they sat down at the counter for lunch, and as they chose their meal, a woman came and sat next to the girl who happened to be black. The little girl's mother pulled her aside and whispered into her ear, how dare she sit next to us? So they walked away and finished their meal over in a booth apart from the woman who sat next to them. This little girl's mother happened to be an elder at a Presbyterian church in town, one of the first women ordained to that office in her presbytery. And so the little girl was learning an important lesson from the spiritual leader of her household, though a wrong message that people who have different colors of skin are not supposed to mix. In the 1960s, that church where that little girl's mother was an elder and where her whole family were members got a new pastor. 
And this pastor started doing some things that were new and strange to this congregation, not immediately clear where he was going with all of this, but they knew that he supported the sanitation worker strikes in Memphis. They knew that he supported the demonstrations and was living out his values with his family actively. His children were learning and receiving and living a different message, a very different message from that of that little girl and her mother at the lunch counter. That message that that pastor had, he knew he didn't need to be keeping that to himself. He knew that that message needed to enter the hearts and minds and spirits of his congregation at the very least. He did meet people where they were, but he neither desired to leave them there where they were, nor did he desire to move people along so slowly at a pace inequivalent to the societal emergency happening around them. Wednesday night dinners at that church started looking much different than the speech or teaching that the congregation normally received and were accustomed to, the pastor invited panels of youth to come reflect, answer questions about passages of Scripture that were familiar to people in the congregation, but that perhaps the youth were seeing in a little bit of a different way than previous generations. And by so doing, he helped the youth's leadership illustrate that each generation understands something new or perhaps something that God has been telling the church for a long time that previous generations were not hearing. He was trying to lead God's church in a direction of integration, in a direction of reading the Bible as an inclusive text. He was building a tool that liberated, one that opened doors, one that welcomed people that congregation had not welcomed before. This new way of looking at the Bible, of course, caused the pastor after some time to receive some threats for supporting the strikes, for supporting the marches, for leading the church in the direction he knew that God was leading it. And so he and his family started to fear. His children were bullied in school. They started to fear for their lives. But he kept preaching and his family kept praying. And meanwhile, that mother, that elder who pulled her daughter away from the lunch counter, from the black woman there, started feeling something different whether it started out as a feeling that the pastor shouldn't be receiving threats or a deeper sense that she had been receiving and enacting the wrong message in her life, that pastor's message fell on her heart and took root. So she invited the pastor and his family over to her home. He sat on their backyard swing and wept. He sat at their dinner table and vented. He shared the message, the good news, with that woman and her household, and that woman began living into her call as an elder. The Holy Spirit was telling the church something, telling her something, and she believed that when the church leaders were following the Spirit's call, her job was to receive that message and live it out. That message grew in her heart, and soon her whole household was converted. 
Unfortunately, but not surprisingly, the message did not take root with most of the people, including that woman's brother, who even at her urging would not come along with the rest of the family. On the Sunday after Martin Luther King was assassinated, that pastor started to not feel welcome anymore. Some of the members of the church he overheard the Sunday after King was assassinated, he overheard them saying things about rejoicing about King being dead. And so that morning, that pastor refused to serve communion to his congregation and instead preached a sermon on integration and racial reconciliation. That was the final straw for his congregation, and he and his family were forced to move back to Texas. But that elder, that woman who heard the gospel, and let it take root, and who undid all the wrong teaching she had done in her own household, she persisted. Her son heard the message, and it took root within him. He started attending a black church on the south side of town. He and his wife attended Dr. King's sanitation strike speeches at Mason Temple on the days leading up to his death. In 1968, that elder woman's daughter left for another congregation that welcomed international students from the local university that encouraged people to buy fair trade gifts for Christmas and birthdays in the 1970s, that encouraged people to go into schools and start bolstering them and supplying them, creating equity in places where there once was none. All this traces back to that one woman, that elder, that spiritual leader of her household whose heart was open to what the Lord was saying, who received the message from the man who met her where she was and didn't leave her there. Generations of faithfulness came out of that one woman's home. And that pastor wanted her and the others in that congregation to hear and believe and walk in the good news. He wanted the church with a lowercase c to become the church with a capital C, Christ Church Universal, the one that loves without exception and helps all people grow in the love of Jesus. The times were dangerous for a white pastor to preach that gospel. The church needed someone, anyone, to hear and receive the message. The church needed a Lydia. Having been prevented by the Holy Spirit to go to two different places Paul and his friends had counted on going, Paul had a dream in which a man from Macedonia called them to come help him. He didn't say what he and his friends needed help with or for how long, he just said, help us. And so Paul and his companions headed for Macedonia. They had been sort of hanging out in Philippi for a number of days, presumably trying to figure out why God had called them there and perhaps to whom God was calling them. But instead of a man, they found a group of women. On the Sabbath, they searched for a prayer, a place of prayer down by the river where people would gather if there perhaps wasn't a synagogue in the area. And instead, among the women, they found Lydia, a worshiper of God. They perhaps expected to find someone needing help, but instead they found a woman who would help the church grow. 
They expected to meet a man, and instead they met a woman. They expected to be needed, and instead they found a woman whom God's church needed. They needed a Lydia, someone whose heart the Lord had already opened, someone who needed to hear the good news that she didn't know she had been waiting for, someone who could take the good news and run with it. The church needed a Lydia. So what are Lydia's like? Who are they and how do we find them? What our scripture passage tells us is that this Lydia in Acts 16 was a businesswoman, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. She was originally from Theatira and now lived in Philippi. She was the head of a household. And that's all we know. Some say she was wealthy because of her business in dealing purple cloth, purple the color of royalty. Maybe she was selling to kings and queens, Roman officials, or other wealthy people. Having a household could mean that she was a patroness of some kind. Others say she was poor because she was an artisan. Artisans in the Roman Empire were looked down upon as dirty, those who worked with their hands, lower class, no connections. Others still say that she could be in a middle class of sorts. Her name, Lydia, comes from a region in which the town Theatira was located. Having a name associated with a region in the Roman Empire could mean that she was formerly enslaved, now freed, and has a household of apprentices working underneath her as sort of a a middle class small business owner. Some say she was a worshiper of God in the sense of being Jewish, but since she was female, could not convert. Others say she was a worshiper of God in the sense of being monotheistic, believing in the existence of one God, but with no clear connection to a particular religious group. And others still claim that she could have been a worshiper of God in the sense of being Christian, but without having joined a community yet through baptism. Basically, we don't know what happened to Lydia religion-wise when she encountered Paul. We don't know if in her baptism she converted to another faith entirely or simply transformed or took the next big step in her Christian faith. And we don't know if she's married, divorced, or widowed, never enslaved or formerly enslaved, wealthy, middle class, or poor. The most important part of Lydia The most important part was that none of these things mattered in a particular sense. Of course, those attributes do matter in a sense, but the point is that God can use any of these types of people to do God's work. The most important part of Lydia was that her heart was open. God's church needs Lydia's, y'all. God's church needs people of faith who are ready to take the next step. Lydia's are the sort of people we don't expect to encounter on our Christian journey when we're stuck in those sort of stuck places, when we have reached a point where we are prevented from continuing how we're used to continuing, when we're wandering around looking for a particular type of person to show us the way, and that type of person we're used to encountering doesn't emerge when we're not quite sure where God is calling us, that's when Lydia's show up. 
Lydia's can be wealthy, powerful, and well-connected. Lydia's can be formerly enslaved people, barely making their way in the world that continues to oppress them. Lydia's can be small business owners who sell to the well-to-do and make a middle-class living. Lydia's can be those people doing important, essential work, but hard physical work, those whom society should appreciate but instead frowns upon. Lydia's take many forms in our lives, but they have one thing in common. The Lord has opened their heart and has readied them for the next step in faith. Their household may look a little different now than in the days of the early church. Their household may be a family related by blood, a set of students learning under them in some sort of way, a group of classmates, roommates, friends. But Lydia's are ready to receive more of the good news and share with those around them what they have learned. Lydia's have one foot in and one foot out of organized religion, maybe, or perhaps one foot in and one foot out of the church door, or maybe two feet in the church door, but one foot rooted in these old, perhaps sinful ways, and one foot gingerly stepping out to know more about Jesus and what he is calling the church to do and be. Lydia's start out unsure with us, and we start out unsure about them. But in the end, Lydia's seek the gospel, pursue the gospel, practice the gospel, and share the gospel. The church needs a Lydia. We need a Lydia today, here and now. We need people who are on the cusp of something new in their faith. The church needs people who need to be met with where they are, but who don't want to stay there. The church needs people who have been hesitant to step out towards God's new and good future, or perhaps hesitant to step out toward God's new and good present. The church needs people who have been down by the river praying on the margins so they can take a place in God's welcoming center and bring people along with them. The church needs people who are ready to stand up and walk beside those seeking racial and economic justice, those who have read the books and watched the videos and are on the cusp of being ready to share the good news of God's radically inclusive love with their household and beyond. Friends, the church needs a Lydia. And the church needs a Paul. The church needs a Paul to walk up to those Lydias and encourage them. The church needs people who find those on the cusp of something new and help them take that full second step into the way of Jesus. People who know what it's like not to see that one thing they didn't know they were missing. People who can meet their people who can meet those on the cusp where they are because they know what it's like to be there and may still be there a little bit now. Before they knew Lydia, Paul and his group knew where she came from. Physically, he and his group traveled through the region of her hometown. Their crew passed through Troas on their way to Samothrace. Troas was not far from Theatira. So Paul and his group actually passed through the area where Lydia was from, and they met her where she was now. 
Paul didn't know exactly where in Macedonia he was going or who God wanted him to meet there, but he followed the call and ended up encountering exactly who God wanted him to meet. Pauls are the kind of people who are sure in their faith now in the moment, but who remember a time or many times when they were far from sure. Pauls even remember a time when they persecuted the church, as in the people, the believers, before joining the flock themselves. They remember what they thought, how they behaved, how they treated other people before they knew that little nugget about Jesus that they didn't know before. They remember a time when they would not eat next to people who sat beside them or pray with people who didn't look or think or act or worship or pray like they did. Pauls remember when they were so far even from the cusp of faith and remember when God caused a dramatic shift in their own life. Pauls maybe don't know where God is calling them next. They don't know where God wants them to share the good news or maybe not so sure who needs to hear which part of the good news today. They may have dreams and visions and see signs of where God might be calling them, but where they end up isn't necessarily what they envisioned. Wherever they end up, they are attuned to God's call, both the place to which and the people to whom God is calling them. Pauls are people opening to God's call and how God might be working in their own life through the lives of other faithful people or even through the lives of would-be faithful or almost faithful people. Finally, Pauls check in on and follow up with people, not to check off a rubric but to encourage them, to check in on how they're doing, what they're feeling, how they are experiencing God. Not only did Paul and his friends accept Lydia's hospitality and share the good news with her household, but later in Acts 16, after Paul and Silas were released from prison, they returned to her household to encourage the brothers and sisters, the new church that was emerging there. And Paul's find Lydia's. These would-be allies, these people whom God has readied to catch the second wind, to hear the Holy Spirit, to be a brighter second light for the world. Be a Paul. Remember when you persecuted others, because we all have, treated them unfairly, discriminated, bullied, and abused. Remember when you allowed others to perpetuate injustice and meet people where they are, where you used to be. Meet them in that place, but don't leave them there. Return there to bring them along with you. Tell them the good news. Remind them of the good news if they already know it. And when you leave their hospitality, remember to return. Check in on them in their household. Encourage them in their faith and spark them to continued action. And be a Lydia. Let God open you to the good news that you maybe you didn't know you needed to hear. With your open heart, you will be found faithful no matter where you are on the journey. Invite the message and the messenger into your home, to your dinner table, to your backyard swing. Listen to the tears, the grief, the heartache of others. Let it take root in your heart. Spread the message to your household. And slowly, surely, you will step that other foot over the threshold into a deeper faith, 
a faith that will grow God's church both deep and wide. Amen. Thank you.